Thank you for joining the Oh, I Had That podcast. I'm Josh, and I'm joined by my co-host tonight, Scott Barber. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. We're, we're excited to be welcoming uh, to the Oh, I Had That podcast, Mr. Thomas Nicholas, uh, affectionately known growing up as Thomas Ian Nicholas. And I was wondering, you've had a few credits now without the Ian. Was that was that a decision? Was it originally a SAG choice? Uh, it originally was a SAG choice when I tried to join uh, the Screen Actors Guild in 1986. There was already a Thomas Nicholas. Um, and so it was change your last name or come up with a middle name. Because um, if I told you my real last name, I'd have to kill you. Uh, so unless you're in the FBI, you don't get to know that. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I opted for um, a uh, a new middle name, and then years later, this is gonna this is, you're, you're you've asked me like a very loaded question, and now I'm gonna drone on like right at the intro, like oh, hi no, guys, no. I'm sorry. let me talk about my middle name for ten minutes. Yeah, I could have waited on that one until we were a little warmed up. But. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> but, but basically, I tried it once before, and I remember my agent at the time. Was, I actually officially changed my name in, like, uh, I don't know, the early 2000s. I went to SAG. That dude who was Thomas Nicholas, like, wasn't a member anymore. And I was like, sweet, I get my name. So I changed it, and then my agent was like, yeah, it's not working. You got to go back to it. No one knows who the people oh. are. So I was like, okay. So I went back. I like went back to SAG. I'm like, I want the Ian again. Is it still available? Uh, so I changed back. And now I just decided that, you know, uh, I don't really want to always for the rest of my life, now that I'm 40 with two kids and doing dramatic films, uh, be known as a 90s kid actor. Um, you know, yeah, I, can see. <laughs> I mean, meaning, meaning in the sense that like, like look at American Pie, Eddie K. Thomas, Sean William Scott myself you know so it's kind of like and i think i chose the right path because the other option was to be a serial killer and i felt like that wasn't as lucrative or fun <laughs> yeah pro probably not a good option there <laughs> thank you so much for doing this i know you just are getting off a good amount of press for your most recent project which i'd love to hear about as well it's that that film is adverse correct yes uh it's adverse and it has a lot of uh like not on purpose, but has a lot of nostalgia in it because you've got a lot of people that everyone is nostalgic about, like, uh, you know, Lou Diamond Phillips and Penelope Ann Miller and, of course, Mickey Rourke and Sean Astin and Andrew Keegan and Luke Edwards uh, and Jake oh, T. Wow. Austin. Um, you know, it goes on and on. But uh, I'm still doing a, a massive press campaign. So we just got off the press tour for the theatrical and now Lionsgate, they only gave us a 30 day window. Um, so now it's coming out on streaming on March 9th. So now I'm back into the next oh, round of press. That's awesome though. So people will be hearing this right around when it hits streaming. So March 9th, totally look out for that. Now a little synopsis. So people know what, what is the plot of adverse? What can they look for in that film? Uh, well, like, it's, like we talked about, it's a more serious movie, which is why I don't have my middle name. Uh, I play a rideshare driver that uh, finds out that his sister is in debt to a dangerous crime syndicate and I do anything that is within my means to help her. Um, and so it's a very, very, it's a drama suspense, um, kind of a slow burner with, uh, you know, some surprises and, uh, and a definite payoff, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, the trailers pump it up really well. I'm excited to watch it. It looks like a great one. Don't be confused. No offense to Lionsgate and their like, you know, sell. Uh, but because uh, obviously we're excited to be working with them. Um, but they definitely cut a trailer together that makes it seem a bit more action packed. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I always try to preface this by saying, listen, this is a character driven drama, a slow burner like a taxi driver where you're really getting this like viewpoint of the main character and and not told too much about them, but you're kind of placing the pieces together in your head as it goes, as the story progresses. Yeah, but those are always fun to watch too. You don't need action in, in all of your dramas, you know? You gotta, you, I love a good character-driven film where you're like feeling like you really feel that guy's pain or his, his uh, 
nerves and anxiety through the story. So that sounds great. Yeah, that's can't that's, wait for that. that's definitely what we were going for. And then similar to the sequence at the end of Taxi Driver, no spoilers, but similar to the sequence at the end of Taxi Driver and even Joe Layden and Variety caught on to our homage or Brian Metcalf's, Brian A. Metcalf's homage to Old Boy. Um, my, uh, my character... Uh, you'll find out during the story of why he doesn't prefer to use guns and you'll see even in the preview, um, you know, some, some tire iron action. Uh, and that is Brian's, uh, you know, homage to old boy. That's awesome. Everybody check that out. If not in theaters streaming on March 9th. So a little bit about, Oh, I had that Thomas. We're all about eighties and nineties pop culture and nostalgia uh, if you haven't noticed on the Instagram, I know a while back, even I posted a, a little photo of you singing the Pepsi song in a, a film we're about to talk about. Um, but before we get into those those films that we're all aware of, I, I noticed when I was doing a little research here that you were on an episode of Who's the Boss, which I didn't remember. It didn't come to mind, but you played Little Tony. Is that accurate? Yeah, uh, that was one of my first jobs. Uh, as an actor back in, gosh, I, I feel like we shot in like 1987 or 88. Um, I played Tony Danza's character, Tony Michelli, at the age of six. Uh, and he played his own grandfather. It was a milestone episode. It was episode number 100 for the show, Who's the Boss? So oh, wow. he actually got in like three hours of latex makeup or three and a half hours, and we shot our scenes the day before the live studio audience stuff. Because obviously, <laughs> you know, the comedians that they have at those live studio audience multicam shows couldn't entertain the audience for three and a half hours <laughs> while we got ready. Um, so yeah, we did a little tap dance routine, and it was uh, it was a great experience. That's awesome. I, I still love Who's the Boss whenever I throw it back on or catch it happen to catch it on like a rerun here here's um, here's an oh i had that moment that will delve into never-ending story for you which i just recently showed my son for the first time he loved it. oh wow yeah. uh he did think uh magog magorg the the main bad guy was really scary he was like oh yeah he watched it the second time he's like can we just skip that part that's too scary for me um yeah my my son doesn't like the the wolf part yeah what, what was that is it magog yeah. or magorg Gamork. Gamork. Thank Gamork. you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm totally, everyone's like, yeah, we're tuning this off. He doesn't remember Gamork's name. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Scott, for the red, yeah. the, for the, the rescue assist. Like I'm just <laughs> failing over here madly. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, so yeah. So, uh, Kenny Morrison played Tony Danza at the age of 13 in the flashback episode. Uh, later he went on to play a Treyu in never ending story part two. I booked a Treyu in Never Ending Story Part 3, and then they wrote a Treyu out. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> I was a Treyu. Like Jack Black. What's that? Yeah. That's the one with, like, Jack Black, where everything is, like, in our world. It's all different. Yeah, but they did. Oh, they wow. wrote out a Treyu, the coolest character. Ah, uh, yeah. And I booked that role, and it would have been funny, because then Damn. Uh, Kenny and I would have played the same character twice. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. A little coming together again. Um. Yeah, Scott. I, Scott hasn't got a chance to say a lot here. He may have some questions, but Scott Barber is actually a filmmaker in his own right. He just got off of a documentary all about like the golden age of Nickelodeon. So right in that like mid '80s to early '90s, like slime years, nostalgia. You you hit pop culture around that time. Were you ever like a guest on Nickelodeon? TV or had to do anything where you get slimed. I <laughs> know. Uh, I, I watched those shows. Um, and my son actually uh, in his early stages of auditions, I started him out doing voiceover auditions. Um, and so it was mainly just in the sense to go to acting class and voiceover auditions the same way that he takes his piano lessons um, so that he could learn to play his own instrument, which is communication, which I think is something that is uh, uh, can be beneficial, especially to younger kids when they're just learning how to like, you know, communicate what they want. Um, and so his first audition was a callback to Nickelodeon. So that's the uh, that's the closest thing I've ever got to Nickelodeon was <laughs> taking my son there for a voiceover audition. Nice, nice. nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, along with who's the boss, you also 
were on Married with Children. Do you now those were early on. Do you actually have memories of like filming, or you have fl- flashbacks in your uh, the back of your brain there, where you're like, oh, I remember sitting there with you know Tony Danza or Ed O'Neill or who were on Married with Children. Did you have uh, scenes with the whole Bundy clan? Um, and I have memories of all my jobs. Uh, being on set is is my that's my that's my jam. That's my that's the dragon that I'm always chasing, and I catch its tail every once in a while. Um, and so, yeah, I remember I remember being on set. I remember specifically going back to Tony Danza. He drove a Porsche 911 at the time, uh, and he gave me a remote control Porsche 911 as like a, a a present for you know doing a good job or what have you. Uh, I had it for years. I don't think I still do. And then I do remember. Uh, married with children that was also a milestone episode that was the christmas two-hour special with sam kinnison as the ghost of christmas past oh Um, Oh, amazing so i remember meeting sam i remember i have pictures with you know all the cast um and then i played bobby who got locked in the bathroom dungeon so while i wasn't in a lot of the scene i had probably a more standout moment of all the kids uh, because I was the one that the, that, that like brought all the moms to like, get Al, you know, I like, I remember there was that my one, my one line was running into the shoe store and I'm like, there he is. And then all the moms, you know, tackle him and all that. <laughs> That's perfect. That's awesome. Sam Kinison too. Wow. You've had a, a few run-ins with some legends that in their own right, along with yourself that I, I was hoping to ask if you have any stories about working with them but let's just get into it the big one rookie of the year i was 11 years old i was a little leaguer myself (laughs) so i had those aspirations like i want to play pro baseball one day like and that movie hit and it just hit every note for a kid at 11 years old and go into it just to go back like how did that come on your plate was it just open call auditions at that point were you already like repped so they were throwing you into the mix for things uh, just a little bit about how you landed that iconic role yeah well i mean you know uh and i'm sure scott can attest to you know the the trials and tribulation of making any project uh and it doesn't it doesn't uh it starts as early as you know going on auditions i went um on anywhere from 100 to 250 auditions a year for the majority of my childhood um, and that time period was no different. And in fact, I, I recently was just asked about this and I've told the story, uh, many a times, but it's, it's kind of a cool one. Um, and it, it sort of speaks on failure and perseverance. Um, so around that time I auditioned for rookie of the year, uh, no callback. And then there was some other circumstances that were happening and my agent dropped me. So I, I kind of came out of that project with no callback and no agent uh unrelated but that was around that time period got a new agent um fairly quickly the new agent said hey i got you an audition for rookie of the year i said oh i've already auditioned that i didn't get a callback and she said well they obviously don't remember you so go again so i did that's a good one and i got (laughs) the callback uh and now from what i heard Later, they were auditioning kids in L.A., in New York, in Chicago, and it was getting to the point where Danny, uh, Danny Stern was was pretty much. And he even talked about this in a recent interview. His son, Henry, who is now a senator here in California, um, was only 10 and he was getting ready to just hire his son to play the role of Henry um, because he just couldn't find what he wanted. And then in walks me for the second time, uh, you know, and and uh, I remember I remember and we've talked about this at different times, too. We're in the audition room. I finished the the read with him at my callback and he looks at me and he goes, where did you come from? Because I didn't know, like, where, you know, his struggle of like how many auditions he'd had. And I remember looking at him and I have no idea why I said this. Well, actually, I do my and I was. <laughs> I was just talking about my family tree with my son because he was like asking my wife questions and her family tree is pretty, you know, convoluted. Mine's worse. I'm the youngest of seven, but I'm my mom's only. 
There's a whole like it's it's a complicated family tree. So I remember when he goes, where did you come from? I'm thinking, am I really going to give him this long winded explanation of like where I was born and where I grew up and how my family history is? So at 12, I just looked at him and I said, my mother's womb. (laughs) I don't know where that came from or why I said that. uh, But I, I remember I remember saying it. I remember the thought process, but. What a weirdo I was. I don't know. Who says that? It probably helped you book that job with that comedy to Danny Stern. <laughs> <laughs> that was another one I was actually reminded when I went back to revisit the movie uh, this weekend was that he was the director. And I, I had known that, but totally like went out of my mind and then came back and I was like, oh, that's right. That's I can't believe that. So that makes a lot of sense. What? why he also took on a role that was kind of like just in and out, like not a lot of screen time in the film, but still comedically pivotal to the movie. Well, that that role wasn't in the original script. And I think, you know, I don't know if it came from the studio wanting him to be in it because of his success as an actor. Um, We my mom and I always joked. And I, I mean, I would say this to Danny that it was his stress relief role because it was sort of so zany and so outlandish and, you know, directing such a big film was, I'm sure I could only imagine the pressure that he might be feeling. Uh, that role always seemed like, you know, his moment to kind of like cut loose. Um, oh, it was, it's so great too. I forgot my lucky scenes. <laughs> such a great, well, that, that was the part of it is that in, he talked about this recently that they specifically wrote ways for him to get trapped so that he wouldn't have to be running back and forth in front of him behind the camera, especially during the big sequences. So that's why his character always gets caught somewhere so that he could then focus on directing. (laughs) And he doesn't need to be in any of the like bullpen shots or like the, the dugout shots when you're having those big games in the movie. That makes total sense. Yeah. And similar so to, you- to Danny, like if you're familiar with his previous to Home Alone, I mean, most people think like, oh, he's a funny guy, Home Alone. He also has such an amazing dramatic side. Like look at, mm-hmm. you know, Very Bad Things or Diner even way back in the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that's where I think for me, I, I bring that up because Adverse is kind of that return to roots for me as well. So I have some more serious films in my, you know, career prior to rookie of the year. And now I'm getting back to my roots of drama. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, even to bring a tear to my eye, Daniel Cern as the voiceover in the wonder years, <laughs> that's like that, that series finale, when he says the dad died, I, I still cry and I'm a grown man now. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about dramatic things. What about uh, Fred Savage's cameo in a film that I was also in the rules of attraction. Which oh is yeah. Having its 20 year or so anniversary. Oh, that's crazy. That's a uh, James Vanderbeek, right? Yeah. James Vanderbeek. Yeah. We shot that in 2001. I think it might've released in 2002 so it's it's the 20 year anniversary of when we were filming it. Can that can you even like thinking back like I have those moments too where I'm just like uh, it's 2021. Like I I I was 18 in the year 2000. It's like time where did the time go? <laughs> oh dude, I remember like getting my first identification card for whatever like when I was 10 cuz I needed it for work stuff. Um, so it, you know, it wasn't like a driver's license, but it was an ID card. It looked like it was an official one. And I remember it said age 21 in the year 2001. And I remember thinking, wow, that is so far away. And now I'm 40. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like what yeah, happened? I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm going to be 39 in, in about a month here. And I have a four-year-old son and it's just like, what? where did the time go? Like I'm, I'm posting about all these things from my childhood and like talking about it on our podcast and my YouTube. And it's just like, and then I, I press stop on the camera or the microphone and I'm like, man, I, yeah, I'm like my dad's age when uh, those things were hitting my life, you know, (laughs) but it's It's cool because like having kids, you can get away with re-experiencing all the stuff that we loved as kids. Like right now, my children are playing, Super Mario, granted it's, you know, Odyssey on the Switch, but 
that's like sort of the hey when dad's doing an interview you get to do video games um and like my son shooting the m night movie last year being in the dominican with when we didn't have the little one with us i could show him all the nostalgia movies i showed him never ending story uh flight of the navigator goonies you know back to the future like all the all the jams man tron yeah. it was great Wow. I was even going to get into that a little bit later of what were some of those staples for you growing up. So you probably rattled off a few there that were like the staples for all of us. I mean, back to the future Goonies, like Goonies, you just worked with Sean S and what was that? like? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, first of all, Sean's great. And I had heard about him for years and years. One of my roommates was uh, Spielberg and Dick Donner's assistant during that time period. So he had known Sean forever. talked about Sean and then I was a voice on a documentary that they uh, produced together called Remember the Sultana about the greatest maritime disaster in the States. Um, so I did a couple of voices on that quick, simple thing. But then I saw I kept seeing Sean at Comic-Con events. And, uh, you know, I remember actually he was so busy that he wasn't answering my text message. So I sent him a video of my son saying, Sean, please do my dad's movie. <laughs> my wife's like what are you doing i'm like it's okay no one can deny and and sure enough i got his attention then <laughs> that's awesome and then uh going touch back on rookie of the year here I, I i had to ask i am personally such a huge john candy fan were any of his scenes done where you were on set when they were done did you get to spend any time with john candy no they shot all of his stuff i don't think that sequence was in the script either um oh, wow. and they shot all that three months after we did the film um so i never met john on set it was oh. only i think either when the film had come out or maybe six months after we had shot it or six months after he did his john candy and i did a psa together um you know and and so we went to his like recording studio spot where he had like the bar from only the lonely was in the uh, like front room. So I oh, ended wow. up, his son was a couple years younger than me. So, um, you know, I played like a, like a, they had an arcade game there. So I just like played arcade games and my mom like chit chatted with John Candy after we were done with the PSA, we just hung out there for like an hour and a half. He was the nicest dude ever. Oh, that's awesome. you rest in yeah. peace. Yeah, I love to hear that. Yeah, he was awesome. The rookie of the year itself, you got to work with a lot of good, uh, amazing character actors, like um, some even from the Chicago area, like uh, your mom, Amy Morton. Uh, I think she came out of like Steppenwolf and stuff. Is that accurate? Do yeah. You know anything? Yeah. Yeah, she came out of Steppenwolf. And She's still in Chicago. We actually finally reconnected. Um, I had been planning for about six years to do the what we did for the twenty. Fit, was it the 25th year anniversary right 25th like 28 2018 I yeah think. i yeah. wanted to do that at the 20 year but i couldn't get in touch with her and then um they finally like the cubs got in touch with her and she didn't really want to throw the first pitch but they wanted her to and so then it kind of all worked out my little like kitschy you know throwback so it's yeah. on um i think it's on the cubs like top 20 um ceremonial first pitch or you know celebrity first pitch so we reenacted the whole like float it bit um yeah but she instead like so i i don't know if you saw it but it's online uh and i posted it as well at some point so i i i go out to the mound and then i like i'm like oh my arm hurts you know and so i had written like <laughs> mom i actually have like one of my own gloves i wrote you know mom or mary in the glove so they like do an insert shot and i look up and then the camera pans over and it's amy morton and she's like hi and the crowd just loses it and she comes she tells me to float it she comes out and gives me the ball and i do the first pitch so that was yeah about two three years ago i think we did that yeah that was awesome i saw that on youtube so great but yeah, like Dan Hedaya and Eddie Bracken. Eddie Bracken, of course, we know from Home Alone uh, 2, which uh, he played uh, Duncan's uh, Mr. Duncan of the toy store. And then he's the Cubs owner in this. A Dick Carter ring! <laughs> were, were there any stories of him? He seemed like uh, like he would be a wacky character. Uh, he was just great. I mean, you know, it was it was just awesome to be able to work with someone that had just been doing it for so long. And the changes that he had seen in filmmaking, 
you know, I mean, he was literally filming movies when it was black and white. And here we yeah. were, you know, working with Eddie Bracken. It was amazing. That's awesome. And then how many times I have to ask you, how many times in your life does somebody say funky butt loving <laughs> when they see you on the street? <laughs> um, it, it happens. I mean, it happens more at like comic cons, but it's it's more or less like when I'm um, inviting it in. It doesn't necessarily happen to me to the point where I'm like turned off by it. So, yeah, um, you know, like, for instance, um, I wasn't so pigeonholed by like the American pie thing, but I think some of my castmates may have experienced more um uh moments like that that were maybe unwanted like i mean i remember walking the streets of new york with eddie k and someone from across the street you know yelled his nickname at him i don't get that in my life but like i will get that if i'm at a comic-con event and i'm doing a meet and greet then someone will be like oh man could you write funky butt love on my picture now i remember when i was a kid <laughs> I didn't want to write that. I would be like, um, I would joke with them and I'd be like, oh, you know, you know, I didn't say that. That wasn't my line. So maybe <laughs> I should say one of my lines. Now I'm like, what do you want me to write? You want me to write fucking my love? Let's do it. You know? <laughs> so I've, I've embraced the nostalgia in my, uh, in my age. Yeah. I just know at 11 years old, seeing that movie, that was a highlight, just a comedic moment. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why, but you know, you're a kid. Everything about butts and farts and stuff is funny. So, I mean, it's uh, it's a, it's such a wrong line in on so many <laughs> levels for children to be running around saying, uh, and that's what that's what we gravitate towards. You know, my children have jokes in their playtime that were like, "Hey guys, don't say that." As soon as you say "don't say that," they'll say it twenty more times. Yeah, for sure. And then from Rookie of the Year, you're in a kid in King Arthur's Court, which. Okay, I got to show. I have I have the VHSs here still of both those, and and we'll talk about this one that hit me at the right time going into my senior year of high school, American Pie. Um, but uh, but Kid in King Arthur's Court, which you also had a follow up, the Aladdin themed one, isn't that accurate? Yeah, but I have uh, I have the VHS of that one, the Kid in Aladdin's Palace, on my shelf. I remember my son saw it after he had seen the uh, King King Arthur's court and he goes, Oh, wow. You have a book of this dad. I'm like, no, it's not a book, son. It's a VHS. What's that? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, my, well, on the reverse, I have so many VHS tapes. I made like a little blockbuster in my closet here and my son calls like DVDs or Blu-rays tapes. He's like, can we put the tape in? <laughs> I'm raising him right, I think, in my retro life, but better better uh, than yeah. me because I I had to explain what a v VHS was and like show him like this is a VCR. I still have VCRs and VHS around. I just never took the time to explain it until he thought it was a book, and then I was like, okay, we have to write this wrong. Yeah, of course. So quickly, wh where did uh, Kid King Arthur's Court film? Uh, Were you overseas? Yeah, we filmed that in Budapest, Hungary. Um, oh, wow. And then we filmed the sequel in um, in Tunisia. And of course, if anyone revisits this, they'll they'll get uh, uh, a young James Bond, Daniel Craig in, in this one. And as well as Kate Winslet, who plays the princess, who's uh, being part of the plot there. Like the subplot is she's being kind of like doled off to wed the bad guy and. Uh, she's in love with Daniel Craig, correct? By uh, King Arthur, uh, who's Joss Auckland, the, one of the main bad guys yes. in Lethal Weapon. That's crazy. And then I was looking, I was doing a little research of uh, your kind of love interest as a kid in that movie, your your crush. Um, her and Kate Winslet are, were funny enough playing like uh, sisters, but they're, I think that your love interest was a little bit older than Kate Winslet at the time. Yeah. Kate and was only 18. Uh, and Paloma was, I think like in her early twenties. And you were all of like 15 or so at yeah. that point. Yeah. I was like, only 15 and, and kissing on camera. <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, I had my first kiss when I was like nine or yeah. 10 on the fear inside a movie I played Christine Lottie's son. It was made for Showtime. Dylan McDermott was uh, one of the main bad guys. And Jennifer Rubin was 22. That was my first on-screen kiss. I was 10. 
Wow. <laughs> I'll have to look that one up. That seems like, how did they get to that point with that story? <laughs> uh, well, she lip locks me and I'm not supposed to be expecting it. But then I remember the director came up to me like about seven takes in and he goes, you actually pursed your lips on that one. And it's supposed to be like, she's grabbing you by surprise. And I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you were, you were all for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you st when you in, in acting, when you start to anticipate, you have to like, that's, I mean, that's part of the technique is learning how to act like you don't expect what's about to happen is going to happen yeah. after you've done 20 takes of it. That's great. I mean, it was also like a weird time too. Cause like, weed i wasn't smoking weed but weed was legal so there was like marijuana like growing wild on the set and ironically wow. you would think that we went to um to hungary to film in a real castle it was a set of a castle well there you go the the, the magic of movie making right best. <laughs> we fly to another country i'm like cool a real cast it's a set of a castle was it for the like the landscape around what would be the castle or what was the I think it was the location a, choice? It's called it's called a price point because it was produced by Trimark, which is of course now really usurped by Lionsgate, and then they sold it. Trimark did to Disney, so it wasn't a Disney film. Um, I mean, that was only that was a pretty like indie budget at the time. And to give you an indication, uh, Rookie of the Year was a studio film with Fox. That was a $16 million budget in 1992. Uh, Kidding King Arthur's Court was a $2 million budget. Wow. Um, and so we went there because it was obviously a lot cheaper for crew and for stunts. And then they hired all the other actors from uh, England. Okay. And then that would tie into how we see the, the young English actors that pop up in that film. You know, probably my my coolest story of uh, a Kidding King Arthur's Court was um, something really random. So I remember Art Malik, uh, who I'm still in touch with as well uh, and and still friends with his uh, his daughter, Jess. Um, so he injured his back uh, one day. And I remember like he played Blasco and obviously he was like the main bad guy in True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis. So I remember he he hurt his back and we were supposed to, cause we were always fighting each other in the movie. And so he, we were supposed to like, I was looking, Calvin Fuller was looking for the bathroom and Art Malik, uh, he like, we come around a corner and we bump into each other and I fall down. So it was hard for him to shoot that scene cause he's wearing a back brace. And if I bumped into him, it could be really like, it could hurt him, injure him like actually. Uh, I think he had like hurt his back on a roller coaster in Hungary. So let that be a lesson to you. Don't ride roller coasters in a, in another country um, while you're working anyway. Uh, so we kind of came up with this compromise. So in that scene, when Calvin's looking for the bathroom, I come around the corner one way and then he taps me on the shoulder and I turn around and I'm surprised and we have that interaction. So that was an example of, and that was actually my idea to do the scene that way. So it was really cool as a 15 or 14, 15 year old, 14 year old. I was, I was only 14, 14 year old to be able to like instruct the crew with an idea that I had of, Hey, what if we do the scene this way? And then the cinematographer listen and say, okay, well I could, if I shoot it this way, it'll be a, you know, a nice moment. And it ends up being more of a surprise than the sort of, you know, I guess, physicality, you know, sort of Dick Van Dyke physical comedy of bumping into somebody and falling down. And it ended up being more, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, threatening from Belasco because yeah. it made him more powerful. Uh, and it was really a compromise due to his physical inability to do the scene as written. Oh, that's great. And that's because that's the moment when he does like we see that he's a bad guy and he threatens you. Right. Yeah. In the hallway. Yeah. So that I mean, that worked out perfectly then. Um, and moving forward here, which I was going to touch on is like around 1999, we get this teen raunch rump American pie. Um, what was the was the script when you shot the same that you read when that like came up as an audition to you? Was it as raunchy and like like kind of like wow because maybe like porky's 
to then was there was nothing really that got into that kind of like a teen sex comedy that was like that risque. And then since then, of course, now I don't think you could make the same movie that was made uh, in 98, 99 with American Pie. But what was that? The What did you get to read even when you were like before you booked the role? Uh, as far as like the script goes. Well, I mean, to be fair, Adam, her as the writer did model the film off of Porky's and Animal House. And a perfect example of that actually is the shower scene where they're peeking through the hole in the wall of mm -hmm. the girls locker room is the, the rendition of that is the webcam scene with Nadia. So that is the inspiration from Porky's that makes its way into American Pie. And he had a theory that Films and entertainment has a 20 year life cycle. So American Pie is around the 20 year mark of Animal House and Porky's. Um, oh, wow. And so the first script that I got was actually titled Untitled Teenage Sex Comedy that uh, you can make for under 10 million that audiences will love but studios will hate. <laughs> that sounds like a like a parody a title that they would actually run with like in the vein of like scary movie or <laughs> i think it was the idea that like you know it was the pitch right in the title so that you if you you know you didn't you would know what the movie is about instantaneously mm -hmm. um and i remember the first scene was similar um with uh how shall i word this um self-gratification uh but it wasn't jason biggs with himself and an illegal channel uh it was actually kevin and vicky and vicky was instructing kevin um with maybe you know um how to maneuver his fingers so to speak uh i'll let your imagination take the rest uh i personally read the first scene and threw the script in the trash and asked my agent why they were sending me teen porn um, mm -hmm. and so, uh, there was a, a moment later where she told me that they really wanted to see me. The truth of the matter is they had hired or wanted to hire Andrew Keegan, but he was already booked on 10 things I hate about you. So Keegan and I went to high school together and we did go out on, on a lot of same roles, you know, in competition. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know this, but they were looking for someone with that similar kind of look. Um, and so they, my agent was like, look, can you just read it and give it a shot? I agreed. And then when I did finally read the whole script, I realized there was a lot more to it, a lot of heart in it. Um, yeah. And I did go and audition for it. And then obviously the rest is history. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely the heart in it and it totally for the time. I mean, I was going into my senior year of high school, it like totally hit anyone my age going to see that. I think I saw it three times with different friends uh, while it was in the theaters, but it was just like a perfect uh, blend of like, you know, sex, comedy, romp, like um, fun romp with your buddies and, and like heart that, you know, even guys can go and like, like the movie and not feel like it was just all like, throwaway jokes or anything it was it's a well done film i think that's why it sort of stood the test of time you know is that it it has a little bit more to it than just the raunch um and and even though you know the i think the female characters have a lot of uh of power they're not just eye candy they're the ones that are kind of calling the shots because you know you've got yeah so th there's a lot to it Really quick on on, on a, a further kick of the uh, the 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 bit between me and Andrew because now Andrew and I have worked together, um, you know Andrew Keegan twice because he's in Adverse, yeah. uh, he's also in uh, another film that I produced called Living Among Us. I found out only from him last year that the reason why he couldn't do both was because of one day. Oh, wow. So the one day was, uh, scheduling wise, was the one day that 10 Things I Hate About You had booked Save Ferris to perform. And the director was a big fan of the band and, and the band, had it had taken a long time to get that date worked out. Uh, and so that was the one day that they couldn't move. And that was why Andrew couldn't do the job. If he had oh, done wow. 10 Things I Hate About You and American Pie, I think he'd pretty much be like the king of the 90s. Um, and so 
uh, ironically, when they went to film, that day moved anyway. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> to add insult to injury. But the cool part and why I wanted to tell you this is so I was on my last tour before lockdown. Uh, we went to uh, Brian A. Metcalf and Kelly Arjun, my producing partners of Adverse. We went to Portugal um, for the premiere of Adverse at Fantas Porto. And this is like a prestigious festival, like Bong Joon-ho premiered The Host there. Guillermo del Toro premiered Pan's Labyrinth there. Coen Brothers, uh, per, you know, premiered uh, uh, No Country for Old Men. So this was like, they were opening night films and we were an opening night film. So we were like, wow. we have to be there. So we go to Portugal and then I go to the UK to do a tour. This is obviously like pre, you know, COVID lockdown. So I'm mm -hmm. touring the UK. I played at like the Cavern Club and where the Beatles got their start. So I'm doing this little spot and my buddy brings Monique Powell, the lead singer of Save Ferris to the show who happened to be in town. So I'm oh. doing a Q&A and I was like, and I told this story then. And so I said, I just want to say thank you to Monique Powell <laughs> because I wouldn't have American Pie if it wasn't for her. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> But I mean, to be fair, you both you both made your you and Andrew Keegan both made your mark on the '90s. So <laughs> you you were the kings of the '90s in your own rights. <laughs> yes, but you know, I was I was only in the inside of Bop at magazine, and and uh, he was on the cover because he was the it boy back then. Oh wow, yeah, it's gonna be cool to see him in Adverse. Then um, I know that he's like he's probably done things here and there, but he kind of stepped away from like acting for a little bit to like pursue other things in life, which is awesome. So it'll be cool to see him again. Yeah. Things got, you know, I think a little weird. It's, it's partially the reason I started producing was, you know, I, I just, I didn't want to wait until I was, you know, the, the next realm of possibilities of being older. Um, so I, you know, wanted to create some opportunities to, to stay busy in the interim. Yeah. That's and also to circle back, you said you were on tour. Well, that leads me into one of the things that you have kept busy with and built up as a passion in your life is uh, the Thomas uh, Nicholas band, which just premiered a new song today. Is that right? Uh, the song that you're, you're referring to premieres on March 9th, which is oh, okay. um, the same day. It's the same day that, uh, that um, adverse hits streaming. I didn't plan this. Wow, that's great. <laughs> I didn't plan this because we were actually supposed to come out earlier, but Lionsgate decided to push back the date, I think due to like theater closures and stuff like that for the theatrical. Um, and so it, I, I had set March 9th as, as this release date, like December 15th before Lionsgate moved us back. So, uh, but yes, on March 9th, it's a big day for me. I've got Adverse coming to streaming and my new song, my new single Luminary uh, hits the digital airwaves. Um, but it's the sixth single for my new album that I've got going on with uh, with Patreon. That's awesome. So have, do you have a planned out when the full album will be out or is that you're still working up to that? Yeah, I haven't really planned anything yet. I, I you know, everyone's kind of saying like albums are dead and, oh, yeah. you know, so I'm, I'm just sort of like releasing a song at a time 
And I, I guess maybe, I mean, cars don't, they don't even make cars with CD players and it's not like anyone's driving anywhere right now anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we're totally in the, the best time for just like, being able to record a song and put it out and then record another song and put that out. Whereas you don't have to make a full album and play, tour it for, you know, a whole year and hope that it sells, you know, that 12 track CD, which you really love like four of the songs on, but the album, need, the, the label needs you to do this many songs for the album, you know? Yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't know about any of those label wares. I've been a DIY kid since like 1997. So yeah, but that's the way to do it. That's where the world has taken us. And it's, it's the perfect world to be. So I was ahead of my time. Yeah. It's the perfect world to be an independent artist. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, you everyone... know, I, it wasn't necessarily by choice, but it, it was the idea that, regardless of you know who approved i was gonna do what i love to do anyway i mean life's too short to not take an opportunity so you know uh is it is it as big as it could be no but it's all about the experience not about what you achieve um that's awesome you know and i so, and, yeah every and so it, it you know while american pie is like a billion dollar franchise i enjoy music the same regardless of it being, you know, not a billion people watching. And after all, it's not, it's not a clamor. It was rock and roll. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I, think I still to, have my disc, man. I think you probably need to take that soundbite. I mean, there might be licensing involved with Disney, but that soundbite probably needs to be like in, uh one of your music videos <laughs> oh my god that, that it was i now i'm remember i'm having like flashbacks of saying that line that wasn't clamor sire that was that rock was and rock and roll. <laughs> i choose combat rock combat rock i still i i just watched the movie the other night like you saw i shared with you and I like I, I I had to laugh out loud when that <laughs> that combat rocket <laughs> I just wonder why they didn't let me say Please, sir, may I have some more in, you know, when I'm dealing with Merlin? Yeah. Come on, man. It was Fagin. <laughs> it's great. Well, uh, I know, Scott. Scott, you've been awfully quiet. We got to get you involved. I know you had a great uh, question that you wanted to bring up, which he mentioned on in relation to Andrew Keegan. But I think you were going to throw this at Thomas. So why don't you go ahead with that? Yeah, sure. You, you touched on this earlier with... Uh you know, certain roles, like for example, the Atreyu role that you, you booked it, it was ready to go and they cut Atreyu out. Uh, and as well as uh, American Pie, you know, almost going to Andrew Keegan. Were there other roles in your career that either um, maybe you almost got, but due to scheduling or whatever, it, it, it just, it just didn't happen. Yeah. Any that you look back on and you go, I wish, I wish I had gotten that. Well, it, you know, it's, it's sort of, it, it kind of all ties together. At least this is where my head's at right now. Um, you know, I've been waiting for this moment to kind of take a turn with my career back to more roots of drama. Um, and, and when I was first starting out, um, my acting coach and mentor said that, you know, drama was my forte and comedy was my weak point. You can only be as strong as your weakest link. So let's work on your comedy. So I remember right before booking Rookie of the Year, I screen tested for The Good Son with Elijah Wood. And I had already worked with Elijah on Radio Flyer. Now, granted, him and Joe Mazzello were the main kids, and I was like one of nine bullies um, that were, you know, and I think my biggest scene ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, but yeah, I remember the screen test. I remember being so prepared for that role that my uh, my acting coach actually hipped me to the idea that The Good Son was a reboot of The Bad Seed. So I was like studying the original Bad Seed and bringing like all this like layers and subtext that existed from that girl, that actress's performance into the thing. So I don't know who was ultimately going to get it. There were th probably two or three of us that got a pin put in us after the mix and match screen test session but i know i was going for the role that ultimately was given to macaulay culkin macaulay was not at the screen test that was a total surprise to me and the other two kids with you know our schedules 
sort of set aside. But that's sort of the defining moment. If I had booked that role, I wouldn't have been available for rookie of the year. Um, so, you know, it would have been a completely different start and I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, no offense. To, I mean, look, Elijah's gone on to do a, uh, to have a great career. You know, obviously Macaulay Culkin is a, you know, a household name, um, you know, but I don't necessarily know what that would have, what path that would be for me to, you know, be that role. But I mean, certainly if I had done that well and been the bad kid, what, what roles would I have gone to next? It, it certainly wouldn't have been a kid in King Arthur's court, uh, you know, yeah. or rookie of the year or, you know, and then, and then even would it have been American pie? Would they, would they hire the, the known bad seed to, you know, yeah. be, uh, you know, in, in such a, a synonymous high school teen sex comedy? Yeah. <laughs> You've done such a fantastic job over the years of just, reinventing yourself like there's it when i was looking at your your career um you've never had any downtime it seems like you you've been able to stay relevant and continue to reinvent yourself all these years is there anything that you can attribute that to is there any mindset or or motto that's 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 that you feel has made that happen um i mean certainly there's there's you know <laughs> There's still some jobs that uh, while I was staying busy, I wish I would have said no to. Um, <laughs> but uh, no one's perfect. Um, I think the mindset for me kind of stems from back in like the early 2000s, like 2001. Uh, my brother came to me with an idea for what would become L.A. DJ um, of, of wanting to tell that story. And so I... I kind of was like, oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, we could write something together. But at that point, like, you know, I already had American Pie. The sequel was doing. I, I did a Halloween Resurrection, you know, Rules of Attraction, Stealing Sinatra. I was busy and in my downtime just kind of chilling. Um, but my brother was kind of like, hey, listen, you know, no one else of your peers is is producing or directing like, why not take your own <laughs> destiny uh, in your own hands? Uh, my brother is kind of dramatic like that. Um, and, and you know, and, and design what you're doing as opposed to waiting around for work to come. Uh, and so I think that was the moment, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, that, that changed my mindset. I was already doing music, but it was at that idea, like, I wanted to shop it around. I wanted to, you know, get a deal and... I didn't want to like just be DIY, but that moment was when everything kind of switched for me. And there's something really fulfilling uh, in a DIY sense for me. I, I don't know what it is more so than I just love like the non-politics of being in the creative space. Um, and when you're your own boss, when you follow in the footsteps of like Walt Disney of not really working for someone else. Um, there's something really fulfilling about that type of creativity. It seems like you've done a fantastic job. You know, a lot of times when people do go the DI, uh, DIY route, um, you know, you're dealing with smaller projects, you're working on, you know, subpar things, but I mean, adverse looks incredible. You know, and I saw you're part of the uh, the PGA now. So congrats to you on everything you're doing, man. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we've been really, uh, really fortunate. I think uh, on that first film that my brother kind of goaded me into was where I met Brian A. Metcalf, who's now my business partner. And we've been really fortunate to, you know, now sell two films to Lionsgate, uh, one put out through Sony, um, you know, another one that, and they've all had theatrical releases another one you know ended up on Redbox, which usually is only a a studio picture deal so you know it, and it's not to say that like oh you can only accomplish something if you're with working with the big boys but at the end of the day you know the studios have the their they've got their finger on the pulse of distribution and what they think is is valuable so really having that validation um you know is i think it's become kind of our goal that while we're DIY and we get to be our own boss and do what we want to do, 
that we ultimately, um, you know, make something that the studios see value in um, because ultimately we just want people to, to enjoy our work and that's how we're going to get more people to see it. And I attribute a lot of that accomplishment um, to the partnership with Brian A. Metcalf. Um, I mean, we, we have at this point, wow, what is this? One, two, three, four. We've produced four features together. Um, and so, you know, yeah, thank you for, for, uh, for calling me out, Scott. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. It, it seems like you have the best of both worlds there. So good on you. That's amazing. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so amazing to see you and kind of grow up in a, so to speak, grow up with you over the years. I mean, we're both pretty close in age and uh, being able to watch you on the screen and also see you uh, make music and succeed with that. Um, just congratulations on everything. And thank you so much for being here tonight and discussing this with us. And I know it's like, sometimes it's like, oh, we want you to take a trip down memory lane with some things that people have all asked you about over the years. But uh, I really appreciate it. And everybody check out uh, Adverse when it's streaming on March 9th, as well as the Thomas Nicholas Band drops Luminary, the new single on March 9th as well. It's Thomas Nicholas Day, March the 9th, 2021. <laughs> yes, we're, uh, we're pining I'm, for a national holiday. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm going to give you the key to the city right now. And, Just... <laughs> and and really quick too, I you, you guys are going to get the keys to something cool and nostalgic uh, that, that, uh, that Josh is going to share. Um, I have a secret nostalgic web store. Uh, if you go to my website, you cannot find the link to the store in the menu. It is a hidden page. Um, and so I'm, I've given that link to Josh and he's going to share it with you yeah. so that if you are really like a big, really, it's more rookie of the year than American pie. But I think, I think you already know about, about this guy. Yes, the um, Henry Rowan garden, the garden garden hoser baseball card, which which <laughs> and then this one is of course not signed, but uh, it's it is an official. Uh, you get the case too. It's an official um, 1993 World Series ball. Oh, that's so, awesome! So even wow. though it, that was the Blue Jays that took it from the Phillies, in Henry's world it was the Cubs. So these are signed and numbered. I've never done this before, where I've had a character sign something and, and usually it's like, I'll sign it and then put the character's name. But these ones are like, you know, faux reality. Um, so Josh is going to share the secret web store link with you. Um, so, you know, you'll have access to that. It's like this, the, if you know, in and out burger, it's like the hidden menu. Yeah. That's the animal sauce, so to speak. Like <laughs> exactly. This is the animal style version of me. I don't, that, that yeah, sounds so go. wrong. So, like, yes, that's we'll, worse than saying funky butt loving, I think. <laughs> we will put that out there so everyone can access that special Henry baseball as well as the card on your website. Uh, please check out all those projects that Thomas has coming out. And we, once again, thank you for being on the Oh, I Had That podcast tonight, Henry. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, Josh, Scott, thank you guys so much. And, uh, and you know, thanks for your work on your nostalgic uh, page and Instagram. Uh, I enjoy following and and seeing things. I think I pretty much saw the post recently that totally threw me back. It was the Thundercats battery pack that powered up uh, Lionel's oh, yeah. eyes. I totally yeah. had that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's what we're about. Soaked in nostalgia. Thank you so much, Thomas. Yeah, man. Thank you. Oh, dude, totally spaced. Uh, speaking of nostalgia, my kids project that I'm working on, I'm doing, I have another thing. It's been on the back burner for 10 years, but lockdown has given me the chance to do it. So I've got my kids singing with me. I'm making music for kids. It's called the robot kid. And the robot kid kind of is reminiscent of like look wise as uh, the, uh, as, um, as Mega Man. So he kind of oh, got that, awesome. that Mega Man vibe without the blaster. He's got a guitar because I'm all about music versus guns. <laughs> oh, that's going to be great. I can't wait to hear that. I'm going to be popping out a uh, like a little sneak preview of like the first 30 seconds. I just got an, uh, an animator to animate part of it as like a little sneak preview teaser thing. So I don't know. Maybe uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up and we'll see. Maybe you guys can can tease it first before I put it out. Yeah, of course. We'd love to. Yeah.
Wow. That was an awesome conversation. Thomas, Ian, Nicholas joining us on the, Oh, I had that podcast. Uh, remember uh, find adverse March 9th. It's going to be streaming as well as look out for his new single dropping on March 9th as well. Like I said, it's Thomas, Ian, Nicholas day on March the 9th this year, but uh, yeah, he shared some great stories from all those yeah. hits from our childhood and uh, t- gave us good insight into those projects he's got going on. I just uh, it's such a pleasure speaking with him. Thomas, he's such a great guy, you know, and it just goes to show you what a prolific career he has. He's had that and is still having that we talked to him for, you know, basically an hour and we, we still didn't touch on everything that that guy's done. Like he, he wrote a song with blues traveler, you know, it's like, he's like, Oh, no big deal. Yeah. I, I act in movies. I'm a father. I cook salmon for my, uh, I cook, uh, you know, I, I'm a father. I'm an actor. I'm a musician. Uh, I wrote a song with blues traveler one weekend, you know, NBD you know. <laughs> renaissance amazing, man, renaissance man, amazing fella for sure. Yeah. It was such a pleasure to speak with him and uh, hopefully everyone enjoyed it here. Uh, thank you again for joining us on the, Oh, I have that podcast. And until next time, Stay soaked in nostalgia.